In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mighty and gracious God, we come before you asking that you would send down your Spirit upon us, that he might convict us of those places in our hearts uh, where we have turned away from you, the source of living water. We pray for a renewal in our parish. We pray for every parishioner, whether they're here or not today, that they might receive your spirit and um, live from it, be convicted of their sins, turn more, uh, more and more to you each day, be converted. And we ask, especially today, as we reflect on avarice, that those parts of our hearts which are not generous might be converted to be generous as you are generous with us. We ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. And Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He replied and said to him, Teacher, all of these I have observed from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You are lacking in one thing. Go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. At that statement, his face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We encounter once again this story of the young man who asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we might say that in contrast to the way St. Mark, with due respect to the evangelist, puts it, it wasn't that he had many possessions, but rather that his possessions had him. This is at the heart of what avarice is. Avarice is a disordered joy, a disordered love, an overabundance of care for material things. St. Paul calls the love of money, notice that the love of money, the root of all evil, in that it destroys generosity within us. It's connected with what St. James calls I'm sorry, St. John calls the lust of the eyes. We look around at this world and sometimes we get caught. Sometimes things catch us and hold on to us. We have a disordered love for money and what we can get with money. There's two principal expressions of avarice. One of those expressions is over-acquiring. Got to get it. I got to get the next thing, the best thing, the next car, the next iPhone, the next whatever it is. I got to go find on Amazon that next thing that I need. 
being very concerned with what we have and always having to have the best. I need this. It's mine. That leads to the second part of avarice, which is overkeeping, miserliness. See, uh, this is what um, Father Doug wanted me to tell you all hi. He's not here tonight. But uh, he loves the story The Hobbit. And uh, I don't know if you've, if, if you've read the story of The Hobbit. Uh, there's a dragon in The Hobbit, right? And as uh, Father, Father Doug says, don't be a dragon. Dragons don't build hospitals. Dragons don't build universities. Dragons don't help the poor. They just keep things and hoard things and gather them to themselves and they sit there on top of a stack of gold that does no one any good. See, the things of the earth are meant to be ordered to the good. They're meant to be ordered to our good, certainly, to each of us individually. There's a reason that God has made food and drink and uh, these beautiful things that we have around us, but they have to be ordered correctly. They have to be ordered well. And when they're not ordered well, they hook us. They grab us. And they can keep us from saying yes to the invitation of our Lord to generosity. They can keep us from being, and this is the real danger of avarice, they can keep us from being generous as our Father is generous with us. See, the contrary virtue to Avarice is, of course, generosity. St. Thomas Aquinas calls it liberality, right? Both of those words and their etymology kind of tell us something about what, uh, what it means, what this contrary virtue is and what it means. You know, generosity it comes from the word to beget, right? To, to, to give life, literally, right? A man generates right? one after his own thing. And so... There has to be a giving from our very self. And avarice masks that. It covers it. It hides it. It destroys that power by which we're able to imitate God, perhaps in the highest way of giving ourselves away. The other word for the virtue which opposes the vice of avarice is liberality. I think about liberty. It's the same root word there. To be free. To be able to do the good. Sometimes we have this idea of freedom as I can figure out, I can have whatever I want, I can do whatever I want. No, it's really the ability and not only the, the external ability, but actually the internal ability to do that which is good. To do what is good. There's a generosity, a liberality that we're called to. To give of ourselves, right? but that's expressed in external actions always. And the idol or the, the vice of avarice opposes this and it says, well, you don't really need to do that. And in fact, you can't do that because if you give up these things, you'll be giving up your security. 
See, there is a good, of course, that is made an idol. Um, And it's not just the material things with avarice. It's actually the security that comes from those material things. I don't have this. I won't have enough. If I give away this, I won't have enough. It's mine. I need it. I must have it. It starts so early, doesn't it? Like, my little nephew, he's four. Mine is a huge word, right? Anyone who's ever seen that, uh, a little child run around, mine. It's mine. No, uh, his name is Liam, uh, and he has a little brother named Milo, another little brother named Otto, and another little brother on the way. And Liam is about to learn that the world does not revolve around him. It's not his anymore. It's ours, right? He has these things, and Milo comes and takes what Liam has, and Liam does not uh, suffer that well. It's the beginning. We, We laugh at it, right? But if he were to be allowed to just gather everything to himself, it's the beginning of the vice of avarice. It's a security. We've mentioned before that every deadly sin is related in some way to pride, uh, to the original sin of being incurvatus in se, to be turned in on oneself. So how is avarice related to pride? Consider that for a second. How is avarice related to pride? By living, and this is a quote from John Paul II, by living as if God did not exist, man not only loses sight of the mystery of God, but also the mystery of the world and the mystery of his own being. So as we lose sight of God, we lose sight of what we're made to be. And this eclipse of the sense of God and of man inevitably leads to a practical materialism, which breeds individualism, utilitarianism, and hedonism. The values of being are replaced by those of having. The only goal which counts is the pursuit of one's own material well-being. Have we allowed, friends, the value of having to overcome the value of being? Do we recognize that we're secure? Do we reject the lie that we need things? That we need things in order to be happy in the end? See, ultimately, and and this is what our gospel today teaches us. The gospel, if you were here at Mass at the cathedral that we read, the Samaritan woman, there's no physical thing There's no security. There's no uh, thing on this earth that can give you what you want. There's no uh, way that we can have our final happiness in in those material things. We have to recognize, friends, that this culture of materialism surrounds us. And so avarice is something that we're kind of swimming in, in a certain sense. It can make, uh, it, it can make it hard to recognize our own 
uh, avarice. And when we can't be generous, when we can't give things away freely, it makes it practically impossible to love as well. Love is giving of oneself, the heart of it. It's doing what's good for another regardless of the cost to ourself. And love requires justice. Love requires that we try to pay back that which is due to others. Love requires that we give not only what is due, but even more what is due because they're made in the image and likeness of God. When Aquinas and Augustine discuss uh, the needs of life, whether in the context of food or money, they emphasize not just what is necessary for bare subsistence, but also what is necessary for living a life becoming or appropriate to human beings. How many of our brothers and sisters go hungry, brothers and sisters? How many of the people around us in our own communities need our generosity? And sometimes we say, no, I can't, I won't. You know, when it comes to living generously, the point is not to live on crusts of bread with bare walls and threadbare clothes. The point is that a fully human life is, and this is a quote from a book called Glittering Vices, is lived in a way free from being enslaved to our stuff. Our possessions are meant to serve our needs and our humanness rather than being centered around service, rather than being centered around service to our possessions and our desires for them. We have to look very closely, friends, at our hearts and say, have I allowed avarice to hook me? Because if it's left unchecked, it will lead to the greatest of sins, treachery, fraud, falsehood, perjury, restlessness, violence, insensibility to mercy. Let me give you the most famous example of this. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was from Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served while Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary took a liter of costly perfumed oil made from genuine aromatic nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and dried them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then Judas the Iscariot, one of his disciples, and the one who would betray him, said, why was this oil not sold for 300 days' wages and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and held the money bag and used to steal the contributions. So Jesus said, Leave her alone. Let her keep this for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Later that day or the next day, on the day we call Spy Wednesday, Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over 
to you. They paid him 30 pieces of silver. That was the price of our Lord. Friends, Judas didn't start that way. Maybe he started by skimming off the collection here and there for his own needs. And that vice of avarice grew and grew and grew in his heart until he was willing to betray our Lord, to betray a man who had called him, whom he had seen do miracles, whom he knew or at one time believed to be the Messiah. This is the danger of avarice. That it will lead us to betray others. That it would lead us even to sacrifice our friends for money or things. So what can we do? How can we work to overcome avarice? Of course, we need to practice the contrary virtue intentionally. Generosity. Let me give you three ways that you can do that today. First, something really simple that does not involve any money at all. Maybe a couple cents for a piece of paper. Start writing down the things that you're grateful for each day. Recognize first, friends, that you have received... This is the beginning of generosity, that we have received much from the Lord. In fact, in the parable of the prodigal son, this line always hits me in the heart. The end of the parable, the the father is talking to the older son, and the older son is, is frustrated and mad and bitter says, I've been with you all these years and you haven't given me anything. And because of that, he hates his brother. He's insensible to mercy. And the father says this, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. Think about that. That's true of each one of you as well. There is no good, no true good that the Lord begrudges you. He wants to give you everything. You have everything in Him. But so often, we forget that. We forget that He is indeed generous with us. And so we have to, every day, call to mind His generosity. Make a practical resolution and write down each day or call to mind each day at the end of the day those things, those ways that the Lord has been generous with you. If it's hard, great. If it's easy, great. Just start doing it. As you recognize God's goodness to you, as you recognize his mercy for you, you will become more merciful. And you'll recognize that the things that you have, you're not the owner of but rather you're a steward of those things and you're to order them to the good of other people. 
God gives some excess riches, says St. Thomas Aquinas, that they might be generous. Let me give a quote from Pope Leo XIII that always challenges me every time I see it. St. Leo said, once the demands of necessity and propriety, so once the demands of like, I need food, I need water, and I need shelter, and I need clothes are met, the rest of our wealth belongs to the poor. Now there's a lot of different ways that we can offer that. There's a lot of different ways that we can be generous Right? What Pope Leo is not, he's not saying that it's wrong to have a business. He's not saying that it's wrong to, uh, to, to, to have uh, reserves. He's not saying that it's wrong to have savings. But he's saying that all of it, everything, is to be ordered to the good of your neighbor. Whether that neighbor lives in your house, is your kid, is your brother, your sister, your roommate, whether that neighbor lives on the street and is that person who greets you every time you come here. What's your honest reaction to that question or to that statement? Once the demands of necessity and propriety are met, the rest of your wealth belongs to the poor. The rest of our wealth belongs to the poor. What do you have in your life that belongs to the poor? Recognize that you're a steward of that. And it's meant to be ordered to the good of your neighbor. Third, look at your budget and get really practical and figure out how much you give away right now and if that's in accord with your state in life. Generosity is not about the amount, but about the why. It's about the intention behind the giving. You can think of the widow who gives her might. And the Lord says that she's given more than all the rest because she gives of her very self. She gives of her very livelihood, whereas all the rest gave of their surplus. Give of your livelihood. That's what the Lord is asking of you. Let's get real practical. Begin to give more and give regularly. Don't wait and figure out, uh, uh, okay, i got to figure out exactly this and that with the taxes and all that kind of stuff. That's all good and, and fine. But when you see a need, fill it if you're capable of doing so. Ask the Lord and say, Lord, do you want me to do this? And if he invites you to generosity in that moment, do it. Give generously. Give to the point where it hurts. And it will hurt at first. Letting go of that is difficult. It's worth it. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who had come from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had arranged a signal with them, saying, The man I shall kiss is the one. Arrest him and lead him away securely. He came and immediately went over to him and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. At this they laid hands on him and arrested him. One of the bystanders drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, cut off his ear. Jesus said to them in reply, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to seize me? 
Day after day, I was with you teaching in the temple area, and you did not arrest me, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. And they left him. They all left him and fled. Then St. Mark adds this detail. Now a young man followed him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him. But he, was left, but he left the cloth behind and ran off naked. A young man approached Jesus as he was setting out on a journey. He knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Many biblical exegetes suggest that that young man was Mark himself. And that Mark came and asked Jesus, "What must I do to encounter, or what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And he couldn't say yes until he had given away everything. But in the end, he's left with nothing, and indeed, he has found everything. For he follows his Lord even when the disciples have left him. Friends, it's that type of freedom that being generous affords us. The ability to say yes to God and to receive completely everything he wishes to give us.